Every day, America Online is making it easy for people to live, work, and play. When we installed internet access on our computer, I got the whole family involved. And you Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? You beautiful bastards! No matter how large, no matter how small, we'll be on the internet in the year 2000. It's the primary way that people will look at information. Shut up! When we were there. Hello, and welcome to When We Were There by its Internet History. My name is Thomas. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about the history of internet culture, the who's who's, the what's what's, the where's Waldos. We're going to get into it all. Whether you like it or not. We have a Goliath of a guest today. We have a man who who broke a lot of boundaries, broke a lot of molds. You probably know him as being one of the most subscribed YouTubers from the beginning here today, we have Mr. Michael Buckley from What the Buck. How are you, man? Thank you for the rousing introduction. I enjoyed hearing your audio uh, opening with all those little, I heard many famous past YouTubers. And so that was lovely. Lovely to have me. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thank you. So, so oh, sorry, Thomas. I didn't mean to step on your toes. But Michael, if there's someone listening, some idiot for some reason doesn't know who you are who are you um i'm a gay guy i was i'm a divorcee i i how do i define who am i well on the internet yeah so from 2006 to around 2016 i had a pop culture show called the what the buck show and um i was definitely one of the first youtube partners and definitely one of the first people making a living doing it back in the day and I feel very lucky that I got in early, and I feel very lucky that I got out alive. So that's my story in a nutshell. Have you ever have you ever noticed that what the buck sounds like awfully familiar to the phrase what the fuck? I feel like that was probably. <laughs> so yes, I feel, yes, young Thomas, I think I knew exactly what I was doing. When I was playing with the name for the show, because my name was Michael Buckley, I think there was a lot of like scribbling of like words that could be the F word. And I think it might've been bucket or what, what the buck, bucket, buck off, go buck yourself. Like there were all these aggressive go things. Go buck yourself. I don't Imagine if know. that was the one you went with. Go buck yourself. <laughs> I was feeling very aggressive, you know? I mean, part of being on the internet back then was being aggressive and just like having such a, uh, a stance and an opinion and just a whatever. And so like, I went all in, like I wanted to be someone who seemed very opinionated and seemed a little aggressive and, you know, risked saying unlikable things. And so it is mm -hmm. funny that having a name that sounded a bit aggressive kind of just kind of kickstarted my brain to run <laughs> with it. <laughs> if my name was Steve, we might not be here. <laughs> exactly. You, you kind of needed to get in everyone's face and say, I'm here. Okay. okay. I'm going to say some shit. People still see me and they're like, what the buck? And they say it very gay. They're not just like, oh, what the buck? They're like, oh, hey, what the buck? I'm like, yes, hello. I'm, yes, I <laughs> do. You, I do you, like that. Have you ever had someone come up and just to the people that don't know and might just know you from watching your videos, we've we've had a chance to sort of have a get to know you chat before this. You're, you're a lot more mellow and like a, <laughs> a lot, you know, I, I, a lot sweeter than less aggressive than you might be. Are there people that meet you and like, wait a minute? you're a lot different from your persona. I mean, not now, but yeah, like when I went to the first YouTube events in 2007 and 2008 and nine, I remember thinking these people are probably wildly disappointed that I'm not standing around just trash talking Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I think it was probably always slightly disappointing that 
I was not that people also always wanted to know what I really thought about things. And I'm like, really what I think about things is so much more boring than what I'm presented. So I remember going to events and right. I was just a little quieter and a little less chatty and people would always want me to kind of offer an opinion. And I remember almost thinking, I don't even know what I think about things anymore because whenever you see me, I'm so scripted, amped up, fired mm-hmm. up. It, it, I was so disconnected from the material I was doing. I, by the end of it, I almost didn't even know what I thought about things. I'm like, did I like Glee or was I just making jokes about Glee? Like I, And also my thing was what was going to be funny. So I remember like when I started covering like the Jonas Brothers to age me back when they first came out, it was like, am I going to make fun of them because they're a boy band with funny hairdos or am I going to act really into him? And isn't that weird that like a 35 year old man is into this dude do- whatever so again i was always way more interested in making jokes than having a useful opinion like my my background and my interest was just joke writing so it wasn't even like do i need to like glee or do i need not to not like glee i need to form a joke about glee and so whatever's going to be funnier is what i'm going to say yes i was going to say it sounds like when consuming like media your first filter would be like how do i use this rather than like what do i think of it even so I can imagine how you would kind of be like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know. I like, care. I just want a funny joke. So I remember writing three or four jokes for each topic and then deciding which was the funnier joke. Like, that's the other funny thing about being what the buck is. I think people thought I might just turn on the camera and start ranting about celebrities. But I mean, my first years on YouTube, I was writing for nine hours. Like I was mm-hmm. writing jokes. Yeah. I was writing scripts. I was sitting in front of my computer and scrolling it like a teleprompter. And I would look to the side and I would make little asides and I would mumble off a little bit to act like I was ad-libbing or not know what I was talking about. It was all in front of me. Dot, dot, dot. Mumble. Looked up. I mean, there was some improvisation. Damn, but yeah. It, yeah but crazy. a lot of it was very structured and yeah. So it's interesting how people just well, I thought, never, I never would have suspected that. I didn't eat because I think in a lot of your videos, at least it seems like it might not be the first take, but everything was gotten one take. And it did seem like you were just rambling, getting these thoughts right off the top of your head. And it's cool to see all that is scripted. I think I, well, as well at the time, no one, everyone who would be making like a video of vlog talking to the camera was them just whatever came out. That's why the, the jump cut was used so much. Right. And I Um, hated jump cuts. And so when all the people who were my contemporaries were posting jump cuts, I remember thinking, and I know this isn't true, but I was like, you're just being lazy. Like make the joke, let the joke sit versus mm -hmm. making a joke and then doing a cut. And then your face is doing something weird. So I remember just never, I probably made it through at least five years with not a single cut. And then eventually I, I, I felt like, well, I guess people like cuts, but I, I carried my bear, my banner of this is who I want to be. And I really did want it to be something like people thought was one take, first take. I'm almost like I'm on TV. I don't get a do-over and I don't get a cut. So whatever you're getting, you're getting. And if it doesn't go well, I'll still roll the end credits. And I'll be like, well, that happened. You know, (laughs) I was also good at getting back to where I was. So even if I messed up, I could I could scroll and I could recover. So like I just I got really good at what and also it was because I didn't want to edit. I was I didn't like editing. I didn't I didn't want to do it. So if I had to edit, it was more work for me after. So I'm just like one take, first take, let's go. So that was just who nice. I was. Well, I, I think though now it is a style with the jump cuts. I think it definitely started with laziness. Like there's no way someone's like, a, ah. 
Sexy Phil who started doing those? He who, definitely like, was, he was the first, one of the first people I remember doing it. And it was funny. It worked for him. So it's not like mm-hmm. I'm poo-pooing it. I just didn't want to do it necessarily. But yeah. yeah. But well, I, 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 I something that Josh and I have talked about as well is, uh, especially at the time, you were kind of one of the only dudes who really felt like you knew how to talk to a camera and like have it be like this performance uh, and not just like whatever. Mumbling. And there was production quality. There was, you know, green screen was done. Obviously, the sound quality was a lot better than a lot of other videos. You kind of took that news style graphic. Mm hmm. So I, do, do you- I, I agree. And thank you for saying that because right when I first started in like 2007 or even six, I remember seeing who else people were watching and I did have a sense of, Oh, mine's a little better. Like mine yeah. is, I'm a little more invested in it. And I mean, for the first two years, people for all they knew, I had an actual television show because I had a green screen. I had graphics, I had logos. So it that's looked, what I thought. Right. And who knows in some weird gay city in some weird state somewhere, this might be an actual program. Some strange so, gay country. And that's what I, yeah, some strange gay country. where Finland. They might, I don't yeah. know. I don't know, but people people who used to send me fan letters back in the day would write, "Where can I? Where is this from?" And I'm like, "This is just me." Like, like that's it, you know? Like, that's this, crazy. That's it. So yeah, and talking to the camera exactly. Like I remember seeing people who were YouTube comedians and being like, "They have no charisma. They can barely talk to the camera." And people just. But then that's when I realized people love that. Like that's when YouTube was mm-hmm. like, "This is just." normal people sharing their lives and i remember even like when jenna marbles got an hd camera people were annoyed they're like i like when you were using your web camera so it's like people (laughs) really like people who are just relatable and it looks like they just stumble out of bed and like when you would see someone's background as a grown-up i'd be like why didn't you make your bed? But it's like, this is what people want to see an yeah. inside look at their life and the messiness and the laundry. And, and they're not, I was, I was a bit, uh, a bit more polished on purpose. And over time people lost connection with that because they didn't want polish. They just wanted someone to be really themselves and crying and sharing. And oh, I'm going through it. You guys, and you guys ever go through things, leave a comment. I'm a grown up. I need to leave. <laughs> At that time on YouTube, I don't know if it's still as much of a thing, but definitely one of the key words I would use is authenticity as being like, that's what people really wanted to see. So, yeah, yeah, like and and any perceived idea of someone selling out in any way, even if it is just getting a better camera was like frowned upon. And, and met with resistance. I was Whereas one of the now, first sellouts. Yeah. yeah, like I was one of the first people doing brand deals and I didn't care. I love telling people they're paying me $10,000. They're paying me $20,000. <laughs> I remember another YouTuber who is very famous. We both had the same brand deal and I made a sponsored video. They paid me like $25,000 to make a sponsored whatever and I thought it was a big deal and I remember telling people this is a big deal and his video was, hey guys, my mom told me about this thing and I'm like, <laughs> why am I and this was before FTC guidelines I'm like why am I presenting this like a sponsorship I'm being compensated this is a big deal please go yeah. whatever and he's making a video just and that's what a lot of early YouTubers would do guys I just I, I just discovered this drink and it's so yummy and you guys should check it out and I was yeah. one of the first people who said this what the buck show is brought to you by this drink which is paying me to tell you about it <laughs> but I well, think that's, that's more that's honest paving though. the way it, it is honest and so almost every video you watch now like this video is brought to you by squarespace yeah. or audible something like that and i i, I think 
after you, there were a lot more people that tried to do the talking to the camera, a little bit higher production quality. And I think I'm, I'm sure this adds to it in some way. But for the kids out there listening who only grew up on the TikToks and think, OK, maybe I'll make a TikTok video or a Vine and then I'll transition to YouTube. You actually started doing a public access television program with What the Buck. How, how did that start? Because I, I just in the in the research that kind of feels creepy that we did on you. Um, <laughs> I know I, I know you have a psychology background and you're working with uh, kids with disabilities. How does that transition to theater and then making a public access show? So, I mean, my background was always theater and performance and I was I really wanted to be an actor. And um, I knew I wasn't that good of an actor. I, I was the lead in shows, but I did have enough self-awareness to be like, I don't think a lot of people auditioned. I think. Like I, I just knew I wasn't that talented. I wasn't a great singer. I wasn't a great dancer. I was probably a decent actor. But um, so I kind of forgot about theater and I, I directed and I choreographed in the in my early 20s. And then I got married and I got an office job. And then about two or three years into my office job, I did feel the desire to do something creative Um and I knew I didn't want to be an actor and I didn't want to necessarily audition for things. But I started thinking when I would see TV presenters, I'm like, oh, my God, I could do that. Like, I'm hilarious. I'm telegenic. I could get on Entertainment Tonight or Access Hollywood and just say all these weird things about whatever. And so I, I started deciding that I wanted to be a TV presenter. And I was told that I needed to get some footage of me, meaning like get some footage of you on camera. And so I thought the easiest way to do that was to go to the local public access studio. And so in May of 2005, me and my friend Kristen showed up and we filmed an hour long public access show that we did for the next three years. Every Monday night live, we would do it. And I took it very seriously. I scripted material. I had jokes. I had note cards. We had graphics. And that was for about after about a year of that. My cousin, who was doing the, the audio visual work on the, the public access show, uploaded clips on YouTube without me even knowing. And people started watching them. So I just again, my goal was to get footage of me being funny and send them to Good Morning America, to send them to the Today Show, to send them to casting people. And I did do that. I had a little package with a headshot, again, a VHS tape <laughs> yeah. that became a DVD. And I, I really just wanted to be a TV presenter, a talking head on TV. And um, and so that's kind of where, where that came from. So is is that, that, I guess, would have been where you got your experience as far as doing video work, green screen audio and then uh, live nation was the office job correct yeah so i worked there 2002 to 2008 and by the time i left i had been doing what the buck and so i started i had by the time i quit i had got an hbo development deal and i was having a deal with sony and i was just so many things were about to happen that quite frankly i, I looked at my boss and i was like i love you i love this job I have to go. Like I can't be sitting here 40 hours a week. And also yeah. I was yeah. I was making I could be making more like probably in 2 months on YouTube than I was making in a year at my job. So it was financially and logistically just time to go. Mm -hmm. And you're you're also one of the first people along with sort of the the breed of like Smosh and Sexy feel like these guys that did have consistent uploads. It wasn't just a random, oh maybe once every month I'll do something. So that with a 40 hour nine to five is definitely not ideal. Yeah, I was definitely by January of 2007, I was on a Monday through Friday schedule. 
And the thing is, it was easy though, because I would go to the public access studio on Monday and I would film all the videos for the week. So I would have right. them all So done. you were still shooting at the public Correct. access for what the buck. Oh, right. Okay. I, I that makes did, sense. I so have, there's a reason why it felt like a studio. It then. was a studio. And then <laughs> once I started making money, I knew I had to leave because I can't use public access to monetize. So the, the, the month right. after I got my first check from YouTube, I just, I bought a $2,000 camera and I bought a piece of fabric and suddenly I started filming from home and I, mm -hmm. I used work lights. I did buy like a $500 microphone. And so it was pretty seamless to go from there to there. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so w when you started doing this, do you, would you say Lonely Girl 15 is Dead is the first video that really got traction or was it more of a steady, steady rise? I had a, st I had, that was my video that YouTube featured in the summer of 2007. I had like, I was definitely in the top 50 or 40. And I know this because they had the 100 most subscribed people. Yeah. And so I was in the top 40, I believe the top 20. I don't know. Probably the top 40. And then once that video came out and got like a couple million views, I got, I don't think like 18,000 subscribers. I jumped up in like the top 10 that day and I never left for the next like four years. Like that video put me over the edge. But I remember in November of 2006, that was the month I had a video that got 200,000 views, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but at the time- Oh, was, that in the day, that was huge. It was huge. And so, I mean, I was getting 5,000, 10,000 views, which still sounds lovely and that people were caring. But then I did get a video that got 200,000 views and that video in November of 2006 kickstarted my brain. And at that moment, I almost thought, I don't even need to be on TV. I remember thinking if these cable news channels are getting like 300 and 400,000 people watching, I could just stay home and I could get people watching watching me. So, I mean, that video, that kickstarted me to post five days a week. Once I knew people were watching, I'm like, I'm going to post every day. I'm going to give them a reason to come back every day. And then mm -hmm. about six months later in July of 2007 was when that Lonely Girl 15. And so like I had my first hit November of 2006. I had my next hit um, summer of 2007. And then from then it was very steady for the next few years. Well, can I can I just say real quick? We've had other guests and we've asked them questions about their like their whatever, and they're always like, "Yeah, it was like sometime around this point." You have a great memory of like I've talked about myself dates. a lot, so I mean, my story, <laughs> my you, I've been going to YouTube events for ten years. I've told my story enough. I know every moment of it. I know every Fair. month, every year, every. That's you, great yeah. for us. <laughs> Were you at uh, the first VidCon? I was. I was on the poster. It was me and Shane Dawson. I was one of the two or three marquee people which I just want to say now is so funny because even when I was there, I felt like I was past my prime. I remember mm. thinking it's 2010. I've got, this is silly, but I was still, I was number eight most subscribed. I was making lots of money. There was a line of people at the door to meet me. And I still was like, I gotta, I, I, this is almost over. Like I still, even yeah. at that point when I was still very successful and well-regarded and making lots of money, in my brain, it's still, and I think a lot of creators feel this, like, when is it enough? Or when is, like, when can I just enjoy it and be successful? Or am yeah. I, I'm always, and then I remember by 2013, looking at all these British people and seeing, like, Tyler Oakley coming up and other people. And I remember thinking, they are way more into this than I was ever into it. I remember just thinking that. I'm like, God, they're really into this. Like, I'm just like, I'm I'm just not that into it the way they, they really want to be YouTube famous versus... I just wanted to be a TV presenter. <laughs> so you, classic imposter syndrome, just <laughs> feeling bit, like a little bit. I think that's that's funny though, because 
like it makes sense i think that the the younger generation would really crave wanting to be youtube stars because that's who they grew up looking up to you know more so than like television or, or movie stars i know like so for i was at the first vidcon as well and i would have been i don't know how old 14 maybe um and that was like a huge deal to me because i really wanted to be like a a youtube star as well i'm trying to remember i don't know if i if i met you though at the time you'd remember Do i smell amazing <laughs> i look the same time has been what, well for me except the mustache you know <laughs> here what are the odds you remember this did a kid come up to you and hand you a piece of paper that had a really terrible circle drawn on it and he said sexy phil drew me a really bad circle can you sign this piece of paper and tell him that it sucks? This absolutely sounds somewhat familiar to me. I'd be lying if I said, yes, I completely remember that. Yeah. But as you say that, I'm like, that does sound like something. Because that, cause that was me. I did that. I went up to Thomas showed me he's got like a ton of different signatures that you can barely even What happened is, so I, even back then, I thought some of the fame aspects of it was stupid because he was, it was in that, that main foyer of the, of the hotel and he was there getting swarmed by people and they're coming up to him. I always thought this is weird, even for like whatever big celebrities, but just like pieces of paper being like, can you sign this? Yeah. Which I don't understand. What I don't get the point of that. But anyway, I thought it was so silly. All these people asking him to sign these papers. I asked to borrow a pen and a, uh, and a paper from someone. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Phil, can you draw me a circle? And I don't know, like if he just like didn't like me but he, or whatever but he just like drew this like scribbly spiral of a circle and i was like wow fuck you and i went to every big youtuber i could find all of his friends everyone like i could possibly get my hands on and said can you sign this paper and say phil you suck this is a terrible circle and then on the last day i went back to him and i gave it back to him and i said hey this is what everyone thinks of your circle that's amazing and, and uh I hope he still really has ruined it. future opportunities for Phil. Yeah, he's gonna it, say that kid, dude. He and then I went the next year as well, and I went to his meet and greet. And I went up to him and oh. I, with a shit a shit eating grin. I said, "Hey, Phil, can you draw me a circle?" Oh, yeah. And he looked at me for a sec, and then it clicked, and he went, "Oh no, it's you." <laughs> and uh, I think he threatened to punch me or something. We're on good terms. <laughs> well, that's funny. 2013 VidCon, Phil and his uh, wife asked me to marry them. So that's my fun, Phil. So I oh, I, I married Phil exciting. and Lindsay in 2015. And in the lobby at the VidCon in 2013, they asked me to marry them. And I burst into tears. And I was wow. chubby and drunk. And we have photos of us hugging. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to marry them. So, oh, you're ordained. so beautiful. I, they, I got ordained for them. And I actually. That's I've, beautiful. I've married seven or eight couples since then. So but they were the first. When wow. I get married, I'm calling you. I, I might be retired by then. But, you know. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, okay. I know. Yikes. It's one of those things like you. Do, I'm divorced. I've married eight couples. Like I would do it. But it's not. It's almost like what you do. It's like almost like being a YouTuber. Like I'm good. Like it's almost like being a minister and marrying people. I'm like, I've done it. I'm good. Like I might. Don't you just need to like stand there and say some words or whatever? It, it's or, like, a bit. I you mean, you kiss? could. But I mean, a lot of times it's preparing and writing a nice script and um yeah. and just traveling to go to a wedding i mean i mean i'm not saying no but i'm not saying at that point well, i think I just, josh was implying that he would come over to your house i mean i'll marry yes. you right here <laughs> yeah. stand right here do you do you i do yay Beautiful. well with with kind of the the rise of like the vidcons back then i i think there's kind of a point where youtube itself came into the public zeitgeist to a point where like you guys were both saying 
there were kids growing up on YouTube instead of television. You even said that, why would I have a TV show? I'm going to have to deal with all these different producers. I'm going to have to deal with the censor board, what I can, what I cannot say. So I, I think that's one of those things where, I mean, I know us personally have worked in traditional media, but want to come back to the internet because of the freedom that's there. I think that's stuff that we grew up on. And I think there was a semblance of community. And I, I would say from the outside in, it seemed like there was a big community. And after hearing you say that you married someone in that community, I assume that there was I've married definitely three a lot YouTube of... couples. I've married well... three YouTube couples. So yes. And anybody who's a generation YouTuber that like, if I, if I saw Smosh, like when I Smosh or SXE Phil or, you know, Shay Carl or Lisa Nova or Rhett and Link or anybody who know, like we do feel like a little family. And when we see each other at these things, it's like some of them are still doing it. And some of us are like me, but there is a sense of like, we were like the first generation and I, I have great pride in that. And I'm so proud of people like Phil and Rhett and Link and Smosh who have just gone on to continue it. So but it is, it was, it was, we all knew each other on a first name basis. We were all talking, me and Ryan Higa were AOL instant messaging each other. I would send him a script. He would film it and send it back to me. I mean, it was so cute and innocent. That's awesome. Was, That's wonderful. It was that actually, that makes like the young Thomas feel really happy. My, my heart is so, because we were talking about this, like wanting to ask you like, was it really a community or did we just see it that it way? It was lo yeah. lovely, like lovely would do anything for anybody and just, and there was no, there was no transactional friendships. We were just friends and we were just figuring it out. And we were all just, we'd be at hotels like, this is so funny. Like we just thought yeah. it was so funny and we felt so lucky. And yeah, I just, I, it, it was lovely. It was lovely. It was, it was even probably lovelier than you can imagine, but it was, it was just lovely. <laughs> well, that, that's just, that really does warm my heart. And this, this might be, uh, the, the, I just wanted to ask you something, and I it might be too close to home now that you've answered this, but do you think you were doing celebrity drama videos because these YouTubers, yourself included, at this point are celebrities? Did you ever think of transitioning into like celebrity gossip, or was that just too you, close YouTube to home? YouTube gossip? Yeah, it was a little close to home because I would I would feel weird like there'd be an allegation against a YouTuber and I'm like oh I know this person I've been friends with them for five years I feel weird talking about it or like a YouTube couple would get divorced and I'd be like ugh like I didn't want to yeah. have an opinion about it and so I just and I see the YouTube drama channels now and they're like cutthroat and they're like it's yeah. almost like Dateline shit like they're digging into people like I really just wanted to be a comedian I just use yeah. celebrity gossip as the platform platform because I enjoyed watching TV and making jokes about it. So really I liked watching American Idol and making jokes. I could care less about what I, I really just used that as the joke. So that's the thing. Like, that's why I just know I was not, I wasn't interested in any of that. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it seems like that's almost all like a, a huge chunk of YouTube is YouTuber drama and T channels. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I love tea, okay? And I mean, I and I'm 45 years old and I've wired my brain to have no interest in that. Like, I really, I know No, of course, but, and it, it is a persona and character that you're playing. I, I just, have you seen Spy Kids 2? This is a weird tangent, but it's going to make sense. So there's this, <laughs> there's in it, Steve Buscemi plays a character that makes these hybrid tiny animals for a zoo and they get big. <laughs> And then he just turns to out the window and says, do you think God looks out at humans and hides in heaven in fear of what he's created? <laughs> Why I mention that is 
the YouTube drama scene, in a way, inadvertently, you you kind of did create. Like the style of videos while trying to integrate comedy into it, that that is you. And I think it's pulled away recently from the comedy aspect and kind of become nasty. Yeah, like I see another, there's another guy and I see- I'm not blaming you. No, but I'm seeing like a guy, (laughs) I saw a guy recently and I was like, oh God, there's nothing funny or clever about this. This is just invasive and not, again, I was there for punchlines and I was talking about, you know, Miley Cyrus and Britney Spears and whatever- but there is something about if I'm going to be a member of the YouTube community, these are my people. And so I want yeah. to root for them and I want to love them. And if I want to report on it, there's probably a useful way to do that. But a grown homosexual sipping tea and like, you know, gleefully talking about the demise of Shane Dawson or Trisha, whatever. It's like none of that is compelling or interesting to me at 45 years old. But I again, I would never tell anybody what to do for content. But I know for me, I have no interest in watching or creating anything like that. <laughs> well, it, it seems like what you've said is old YouTube is kind of built on love and this collaboration of creating this community and, and new YouTube is kind of all about like beef and who's fighting with who and who can report on like who doing what, you know, like I, I think one of the big things is the whole Dramageddon with like Shane Dawson, uh, Jeffree Star, James Charles, Tati Westbrook. At a certain point, it's it just seems like these people really fucking hate each other to the point where there's sabotage going on. And it's I not really I fun. And honestly, I wa- I don't watch YouTube anymore. I watch old gymnastics videos or old sitcoms, <laughs> but I don't watch anybody. Um, but I did see that Tati thing, and I was like, oh my god, this is like a forty year old woman who has millions of dollars, and her little bi sister video was so oh, embarrassing. God. And I just wanted to be like writing a letter to be like, I wanted yeah. to email her and be like, you should just have a lawyer and handle this. You, you're a, you're a grown ass woman. Like the internet doesn't need to know in front, you know, they're all so rich too. It's embarrassing. It's like, this is, so who's the, like, who's the villain here? Or you're all yeah. just kind of idiots. And they are, again, if I'm painting a broad, like everybody looks, nobody looks good in this scenario because no, everybody's no. defensive. And if you're, if there's nothing to defend, there's nothing to be defensive about. So again, I never would, if someone made a video about me and it's not true, I'm never going to be, you all, she lied about me and you need to know and I got yes. receipts. It's like, I, I, that's, I don't, so again, whatever's it just going, wouldn't, I feel like it wouldn't even be on your radar I at all, right? I wouldn't like, even notice. But anyway, these are grown up <laughs> rich people who are involving their fan base in drama, which it does feel manipulative and straight. And they're all monetized, like buy my dumb shampoo it's and the my thing. It's yeah. Yeah. So it's like, there's something about like root. I, I want to root for you and wish you well, but you're also millionaire idiots and it's like, pull your lives together before you go on. But no, but that's the thing. Like they're authentically a mess. So people like that, like Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson and Tati, they haven't figured it out. They're just like you and me, they're struggling. They just have an $18 million home. So again, it's just like, I don't know. Like, again, I'm just being kind of funny right now to be funny, but I wish everybody. No, I I know what you mean. I, I, so I, I do want to explain this to anyone, uh, that isn't me, specifically Thomas and the audience, anyone who has a life. Um, what happened was there are these makeup YouTubers, Toddy Westbrook, who is a 40-year-old woman, James Charles, who at the time was a 19-year-old man, and they were friends. And James Charles used a vitamin gummy that was not made by Tati Westbrook's company. And then she made a video that was half an ad. Like you said, it was just promoting her vitamins. It was half promoting her vitamins. The other half was saying that James Charles is trying to convince straight guys to sleep with him, which was not true, which was proven to be not true. 
Um, but what it was is, oh, it's an exposed video and I can try to sell my vitamins by also saying, fuck you for not using them. And then that snowballed into somehow getting uh, J Jeffree Star involved, which then got Shane Dawson involved because they were doing a documentary. And then that ended up in people bringing up all of Shane's videos doing problematic stuff. Very, very good summary of it all. Yeah, the, I, I, the only name I, I recognize from that was is Shane, Shane Dawson. Dawson. Yeah, yes. the, I, uh, all the rest of people were makeup YouTubers who were just millionaires who all of their issues, at, at the very least, with me and Thomas. This is nothing. this is a, an interesting thing, and I know. Uh, so y you've privatized the majority of your videos, um, yes. for the reason that's listed on on the channel, which is that you've said some things that you don't necessarily stand by, right? Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's the short version. I just, yeah, I just, it would, what the box show was very much a product of 2006 to nine or whatever. Yeah. And because I am not there anymore, I just feel silly leaving them there for someone to stumble upon with no nuance or context. And I don't, honestly, there's nothing terrible. There's no like N words or jokes that I would really, it's in my brain. It's way worse than it was. Whenever I watch it back, I'm always like, that's fine. Yeah. But again, I may have made a joke about a fat person or a whatever person. And I'm just like, I'm just, it's not, it's not who I wish to present myself. So again, I'm not embarrassed. I'm just not like leaving it again. And I'm not in the, that category of my life anymore. So it's like, I just don't need anybody finding that right now. So I've left a handful up for posterity and trip down memory lane. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't need 2000 for... videos of me making the same repetitive joke about a, a female celebrity's vagina. <laughs> yeah, but fair do, enough. But was, do... I was going to say, um, and and you even said it there yourself that those videos are like a product of the time. So when I know a little bit about the Shane Dawson um, controversy or whatever, but how, uh, and some of it is like a lot of the subject matter of his earlier videos, but, and this is something Josh and I have talked about where those videos were public for everyone and everyone was watching them. There was no problem at the time. And now through you know, a more modern lens that we're seeing, okay, these things aren't okay, but it's interesting how people will then, like pretty much burn him at the stake for the things he was making at that time. I don't know. Maybe I think there is more to it than that, but it's something that I found interesting where it's like, I mean, people were watching it and there was no problem. And I don't know if that's necessarily something someone deserves to be dragged through the mud about, you know? I think yeah, like, like we know better and we do better now. Like those videos with Ryan Higa, I had scripted him to make Asian jokes about himself. So I have videos with me and Ryan Higa and Natalie Tran, and I'm making Asian jokes to their face. Mm -hmm. Like, again, now we would all cringe, but at the time, everybody loved Michael Buckley. Everybody loved Ryan Higa. Everybody loved Natalie Tran. Oh, shout so out community channel. Yes. Yeah. So if somebody like if, if a 12 or 15 or 16 year old right now saw that they would be horrified and they would clip it and they would say, look at these terrible people who you once thought were amazing. Yeah. And oh, well, but that's that's who I was 10 years ago. And I thought it was hilarious. And I get it wasn't apparently. But oh, well, I know better. I do better now. <laughs> yeah, I will <laughs> agree with 95 percent of what you guys just said. The only thing I won't. Uh, specifically with the Shane Dawson thing, is there were a couple things that did come out of that. And again, I am saying this as as a unit, YouTube viewers were okay with it at the time, but there are definitely a few things that weren't okay. Black especially yeah. Blackface. Blackface. I was going to say yeah. specifically blackface and some humor around pedophilia that were right. just not okay. 
Right. That uh, was the clip that I heard too, that I was like, oh, oh. And he did apologize or try and talk about it. But I think that was the clip that kind of set people off the most. The black, A lot of YouTubers used to do blackface as comedy. I was not one of them. I grew up under, <laughs> again, I don't. Is that true? I, Who else? Yeah, I, I can't mean, a, a lot. Couple, Jenna Marbles a couple, did. A couple people darkened their appearance and. You know, and then I think about like episodes of Designing Women in 1986 when the lead character Delta Burke, she was doing a um, uh, a song, and she the they are oh they were doing the Supremes, and all three women were like, were, and, and Delta Burke was like, you're all gonna look silly, and she mixed up some black makeup, and she came on the screen, and everybody was horrified, but Delta Burke went out there with the black face, and the, everybody laughed, and again, I'm an 11 year old kid laughing at blackface but knowing that it's inappropriate because all the other characters are like oh god what are you doing so it's well that's like the uh tropic thunder or it's always sunny that's how they get away with it right they get away with it by having the the appropriate reaction of we should all be horrified by this um but yeah, that wasn't necessarily in shape. I get. I don't. I don't know. I, I do agree. It's like right. I know planet is blackface, right? And I, again, I don't. I, I think the value of holding people accountable. But I also think we all hopefully evolve into new and better versions of ourselves. So I'd like to hold space for everybody to be able to evolve into oh, new better I, versus canceling them at twenty six years old is unredeemable. You know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Of, of course. I I think there is just specifically there was a video of the fine brothers where there essentially it was a show where there was a puppet character who was Millie, molested. Millie, yeah. Millie, yeah. Millie. Yeah. Uh, that, that I think is a little uh, unexcusable, but I think the sentiment being that I think the majority of his content aside from those things is looking back at it cringy, but everyone yeah. on YouTube was making like over the top. Tri- like even what you said with your character is trying to be in your face. People yeah. are trying to shock you. Shocking, mm-hmm. shocking. Click on this. It's shocking. Shocking title. Shocking thumbnail. And then I'm going to say something shocking, and you're going to go, <gasps> "Did you see this?" And you're going to watch again. Did he just say that? Yes, yeah. he did. Watch again. So right. Watch it was again. A Share it. Also, send it everywhere. I grew up with Howard Stern, and I remember just hearing him and thinking, "God, he's so awesome and fearless." And I grew up with comedians who. Again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying I grew up thinking that you could make those types of jokes. And now I just know better and I do better. And if I ever did comedy again, which I think I do, I imagine myself doing stand-up at some point because I'm hilarious. But I, I would I would make I would make better jokes, you know? And I, I'm looking forward to that opportunity. But I don't mm-hmm. think, yeah, YouTube doesn't give people a lot of redemption opportunities because once, right, a drama channel finds you and drags you and then, I don't know. Again, it's not. I don't know. It's 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 a it's a it's an interesting conversation to have. Without again, I could say something right now, and people could hear it and be like, "Oh God, did you hear Buckley saying it's okay to do blackface?" I don't think I said that. I don't. You know, I think. But I now said that it. you said that, people, people can right. edit. pull that yeah. soundbite. Yeah, there you go. What, so. what I will say, going with that, with it, with with, with a, something that I do think was a little bit too much. Um, was someone else who I, I at least I know you did videos with him, someone who was also in your era. Uh, the the divorce that Shay Carl and his wife had that was the cheating. They're not that... divorced. They're still married. Oh, okay. Then I'm. I'm... But yep. did, you're spreading rumors, Josh. Did uh, there was a cheating scandal that came out, and yes. did the whole world need to know about that? I, I, that's the thing though. And some of these family vloggers, I just think yeah. someday their kids are going to be 26 and be like, I never wanted any of this. So well, how, that's you the know, thing. I, yeah. 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 With, like, particularly with Shay Carl. It's like the, some of these kids are so young when they started 
and it's like you're i mean i guess it's kind of cool having your whole childhood on yeah. camera but broadcasted yeah. to the world it's lovely and i mean i love shay and i'm friends with him and his wife and i wish them well and i mm-hmm. think um i think they you know they add value to the world because people love their their family and their they have you know but I think, right, when things go wrong, then it's like, right, we did. We put ourselves on the internet so people are going to have opinions about our marriage and our the way we raise our children. And so I do think family vlogging presents a whole different set of challenges than just being a creator who wants to be on the internet because mm-hmm. you're ta- – you know, and a lot of family vloggers, like, right, you they do have – it's just it's a lot. It's like it's not just you. It's your children. And then do they go to school? Do they not go to school? Do you homeschool them? And it's almost like a high-performance athlete. You don't – <laughs> you don't really know how to interact with people because yeah. your interaction is with strangers on the internet. Like when I used yeah. to figure skate, I would see the kids and at like 19 and 20, they seemed like 12 to me because they were so sheltered. So again, mm-hmm. YouTube is like being a child star in that it exposes you to lots of grown up things, but you almost don't know how to interact normally because you are so, and you also don't understand the value of money because these kids never will know what it's like to make $50,000 a year. They got $20,000 for one brand deal. And so they don't understand how it, it's, it's, it can be difficult sometimes to make money because they never had to if they were mm-hmm. always an influencer where someone just gave them lots of money. So like that's my only me being 45 is like some of them are going to want to get a job someday or some of them are going to want to know what it's like to not just be a – because you really are. You're just a salesperson. You're selling a vitamin. You're selling yourself. You're mm-hmm. selling – you need – you know, I, I see people who do lots of ads and I know what it's like. They throw $10,000. They throw 20000 They throw 100000 And so you want to give them shout outs, but it's, and, and again, you are an, you're just, you are a high paid salesperson. So you better really like what you're doing and save your money because that, that's why they buy Lamborghini. When I see them buying cars, I'm like, Oh God, I hope yeah. you have like $10 million saved because like, this is just silly. Oh, no, but okay. They, well, the other <laughs> thing too is like, it's especially now, I think, I think existing on the internet as a public figure for as long as you did, or as, as some of these other people did, it's very difficult to do now because things are so flash in the pan that like to gain a real traction that has a lasting impact i i I, seems to me i could be wrong seems to me that that's uh incredibly more difficult now because there's just so much competition and the attention spans are so quick yeah and that's why you have to have like you have to monetize that you should do a patreon you should have a podcast you should uh you know have an instagram you should have a tiktok if you want some only fans wholesome old anything like i have friends who make a lot of money on only fans and and it's like any way if you want to be this online personality you have to enjoy the marketing and sales and the business aspect as much as you enjoy being a star or you have to at least have someone around you who can help you with that type of thing because otherwise right you're just the creative person but you do have to make negotiations and you do have to diversify your you know portfolio of content and so it is it's like and again I was the first generation so I had no frame of reference for like how should I should I take time off should I whatever um and now everyone is very savvy and they're writing books and they are maintaining podcasts and they're very good at going on Patreon and making money that way and so there's so you just you have to keep your head in the game and you have to really want it I never wanted it enough to really keep going with it like I was by the end of my career I was talking myself into it every day like there was not much joy 
left. And it was mm. just, I knew it was time to do something else. So, I mean, my views were low. I, I always tell people I was sick of YouTube and YouTube was sick of me. So it's not, it's not a sad story. It's like, a, I had a really good run and I loved every most of it all. It was just time for me to do something else. So if you are a, a 20 year old or 30 year old and you want to do this, you do have to play the long-term game and know you might have a bad year. You might have a bad two years. It, you don't have, you know, it's, you could teach, you could coach, you could teach a college course on YouTube. There's a million things you could be doing without just being a YouTuber and making three to five to six videos a week, you know, cause that yeah. it's, it, it's exhausting. And I don't know anybody who can keep doing that without needing a year off or six months off or well, go do something else for two years and then tap back in. That's the thing I was going to bring up too, uh, with like the, the daily vloggers like Shay Carl or Charles Trippy, who's still going. I think, I think he stopped though. I think Charles only does finally... a couple a week. I think I think he did. Okay. Uh, he was I doing know it. He, for hold, many he years, holds. Though. Unless I'm mistaken, he still holds the world record for most consecutive daily vlogs. Yep. Um, which and is he's like, had brain stuff and mer- uh, world tour yeah. every time. And I'd see him at events and like he's going to go upload a video. Like he was. He was crazy. Always, I was never that interested <laughs> in any no. of it. So I. But I can't imagine him. how exhausting it must be for him. I remember, yeah. like, I remember meeting him uh, at VidCon, and then later that night watching his daily vlog yeah. of VidCon. Like, yeah. it's crazy to me. He's one of the loveliest people. I met him at my first YouTube event, seven seven seven. I I love him. I think highly of him. I love. He's also a rock star, and now he's a dad. So I mm-hmm. think he's got. Even though, again, even though he might, I don't even think he probably identifies as a YouTuber anymore. I just think he's just this awesome guy, and YouTube is probably a very small piece of his pie. I think he, I'm sure he makes most of his money from other things, and I'm sure he still just enjoys being a YouTuber for you know to maintain it. Like it. I think a lot of people, like right, if I if I was in a rock band or I was a dad, I might want to make some videos just to kind of keep it going, just for fun but again not mm. as like my source of income it's just more a small piece of me staying in the public eye so when i do go on tour you're like hey i saw your video like yeah. it is there there is something about keeping yourself in the public eye at least a little bit you know, which is why i think i stayed on a couple more years because i knew i wasn't making any money doing it and i wasn't trying to be a youtube star but i just I wanted to stay in it a little bit. So when I went to VidCon or I went to Playlist Live, it was still like, oh, I am a little bit a part of it. And I mean, I'm there to grow my business or I'm there to just as a hobby. But I just, you know, I knew it wasn't my thing anymore. Do you ever <laughs> think you would return to the platform, but like in a different form? Like, a, a, I mean, I know you have another channel, but I don't think you've uploaded recently. No, right? I haven't uploaded in years. I... I mean, I would never say never. I would never say I, I, can, I could imagine in a couple of years that I could be like, I want to create and I want to and I love YouTube and I love everything it could be and everything it is. I just I was ready for what the Bach Michael Buckley chapter one to be over. Mm-hmm. And I didn't enjoy hanging around casually. So even as I right, just being a smaller creator, not I just. I wasn't, it wasn't fun for me. It was fun when I was top of the heap. Like I'm a very competitive person. So (laughs) I, I love seeing my videos in the top. And then when I wasn't there anymore, I wasn't that interested in it. I wanted to go be successful in other areas and, I, I don't know. So I, yeah, like in five years or in a different season of my life, I could see, I love the connection. I love the platform. I love the community. I think I'm a way more interesting, valuable person to the world now. So I think I, I could be a very successful and very uh, interesting YouTuber to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's but just probably not, not celebrity news. Never celebrity news. No, I well, would I, try to get. 
not it's just not my th- i don't even know what's i don't know who anybody is anymore which is good because i i think if you did it would almost be like the wrestler that comes back to fight when he's 60 yeah, yeah. it would be bad <laughs> i have no interest in in my online persona that was very much of the time and that is retired but i think michael buckley who i am now would be an interesting person to follow on the internet. Absolutely. And, I, and it just, I, they'd see it different. It'd be different from what the buck. And I think that yeah. would be cool to see people. I know when Jake and Amir quit doing their videos and transitioned into their podcast, it didn't seem like the same thing. It, it felt like a completely different thing. And I think that's what catapulted them into further success. So someday it's again, it's not a never, but it's not a any time. I'm, I also tell people I'm really enjoying life. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I've never felt so happy. I've never felt so fulfilled. And I do think as a YouTuber, I was always chasing or I was Mm -hmm. always a little nervous. So I always kind of was like, this is going to go away. Like, there's no way. Like, this is silly. Or... I was chasing like it's like when does the benchmark end and like how much more money do I need to make how many more subscribe like I had so much money and I had so many subscribers and it's like what more did I want like it's like uh, now it's like so at this point in my life I want for nothing and it's not like I'm not ambitious I have great ambition but all I know is there was a couple of years on YouTube when I was so disconnected and I think back I see a picture and I'm like I don't remember any of that or I interviewed celebrities or I went to award shows or I had really interesting opportunities that I was just so busy doing it that I wasn't savoring it so for me right now I'm savoring life and I'm really enjoying life and so at some point there might be something in my brain that says write a book start a podcast make a youtube channel but right now i'm just enjoying life so i just want to keep enjoying along for the ride it's a good life this this might add to burnout but uh, one of your recent videos that i really loved because i've not in the same but a similar experience where about a year and a half ago now i completely quit drinking because it was if anything a crutch and it, it, it didn't really serve a positive purpose in my life. And do you think a big thing that fueled that was sort of doing the same thing after you felt like maybe you didn't want to do it anymore? What's the question about out? What about? About quitting about, drinking. Do you think I mean, that was a, a, a catalyst of that was not wanting to do the same thing over and over again on YouTube? I mean, let me tell you, um, Stopping drinking was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I feel like at the end of my career on, or at the worst part of my career on YouTube, like I was heavily drinking. So it's hard to, I, I can't, when I think of that chapter in my life, I was heavily drinking. My marriage was falling apart and my YouTube career was just, uh, and so it was all kind of together. Mm-hmm. And the moment I stopped drinking, my life became much clearer, like alcohol. And it's weird because alcohol is one of those things that it tricks us into thinking we're having a good time. It yeah. tricks us into thinking it's useful. There's not many people who have great relationships with alcohol. Like when people say I could take it or leave it, I always say, well, then why don't you leave it? Like, really? It's yeah. like, it's, a, you know, it's like any drug it's, 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 so what I and when I stopped drinking, I felt like I got out of a cult because I was like, oh, my God, I didn't have to like I'd go to events and I would just drink because everyone was drinking. And now I'm like, why did I drink? Like I, I just and it's part of like, you know, gay culture is boozy brunch. And even mothers, it's like on Facebook, it's like, oh, you've had a stuff day. Mommy needs your wine. Yeah. Like you're, you're brainwashed. It's don't you crazy. dare Don't you dare process any emotions. You just have some alcohol. What? So. Yeah. I haven't drank in almost four years, and I do feel like my life is comedically better without any alcohol. Oh, a hundred percent. I I feel like 
I have more clarity. I'm, I'm not as negative. I'm not sure if there's a correlation there, mm -hmm. but I, I have noticed that at first it was weird where a lot of people would be like, why aren't you drinking? Like you're coming out. Why aren't you having a drink? And I think it, I, I'm lucky to be in a position where my partner rarely drinks. Thomas, I've kind of got him on the boat of not really drinking. Well, like I think I, for what it was for me is it was obviously like most people a self-medicating thing. And when I was having times where I wasn't happy, you know, you drink, you feel better. And then, uh, I'm also at probably in one of the happiest points of my life right now. Very excited about everything. Um, so it's like kind of like you feel when you feel good already and then you drink, at least for me, I've noticed I was like, I feel worse. Like this makes me feel worse. Why am I doing this? It's not making me feel better at all. Uh, I still drink on occasion, but like it's maybe like one drink, maybe max like two. I never drink to excess anymore. And it's it's definitely not how it used to be at all should be like binge drink when i was traveling oh my god i don't know if you've ever been backpacking uh but the drinking culture and backpacking is insane it's like drink beer all day every day as much as you can because it's vacation yeah but then you do that for like a year like i did and it's like holy fuck i don't need to drink ever again you gain 10 <laughs> pounds of water on your face Oh, when oh, yeah. I stopped drinking, I lost 13 pounds in like three weeks and like all of that out just drinking. But it's funny when you said, right, when people don't drink, they say, why aren't you drinking? They assume you're an alcoholic or you're pregnant. And I always say to people, why don't we should ask people, why are you drinking? Because mm -hmm. I think about if you said to me, why don't you drink? I could tell you 10 to 15 reasons I don't drink. If I was drinking and you said, why are you drinking? I could not come up with one reason, which is why I haven't drank for four years. Because every, I when I stopped drinking, I, I'm not sober. I I don't identify as sober. I call myself a happy non-drinker. But I remember thinking, maybe I'll drink and whatever. Alcohol has nothing to offer me. I know that now. It's like there's mm -hmm, nothing. Yeah. Like I don't need it to celebrate. I don't need it to unwind. I'm so I want to I want to feel everything. So that's why I don't even smoke pot. I don't do any drugs. I don't. I just I want to live a life that I don't have to escape from. And if I'm doing that, then there's nothing that drugs and alcohol have to offer me. I think why people say why do you when they're drinking and this is just a theory i could be totally wrong is when there's a lot of people doing something bad and then one person isn't you kind of want them to as well because it makes you feel better i've noticed like when i drink around people that i mean don't drink around people that do heavily drink it almost makes them uncomfortable mm -hmm. totally and I, I think it is like because it shines the light on when they ask why aren't you drinking i feel like they're kind of almost asking themselves why am i drinking yeah. It's a Should I not be drinking? Almost. If Buck stopped, do I need to stop? He drank. Yeah. Right. When I used to drink heavily and have people over to my house and it was like everybody was drinking, if you weren't drinking, I was probably mildly under have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And the other the other thing about me was I never drank when I was a teenager or twenties or I really only drank in, when I was like thirty-six to like 41 so it, I, I have so much frame of reference where alcohol was not even in my life like I if you ask me what I was drinking in my 20s I'm like oh I don't know maybe if I went to TGI Fridays I'd have a mudslide maybe if I went to a party in college I had a beer like alcohol was not a part of my life yeah. until I was like in my I don't know, like 2011. And also because I don't want to, it's not because of YouTube, but because I was so isolated on YouTube, I had bought a house on Cape Cod and I never really had many real life friends. I was just, I had a husband and, and then suddenly I had people over and it was so much fun that I just wanted to drink and play cards. And that's part of the reason I became not interested in YouTube either. Cause when I started on YouTube, 
I wasn't very social. I had a husband and I had a job and then I had all these people watching my videos and I loved it so much. And then I went out in the real world that I made friends and I, when I, when it was time to come home and make a video, I was like, yeah, I like just hanging out. I'm like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I've, I've That's so and, funny. And now I play sports. I've I got, was one of the most popular YouTubers and then uh, I had friends. <laughs> I never felt like, but I never had that many friends in my life. Like I was never yeah. social. And now it's like, I have so many friends and I, I, I'm on a soccer team. I'm on a football team. I go and I'm like, I've never. And again, I just, I love, I don't know. It's don't honestly know. hard to imagine you uh, not being social. It, it, it literally was your tagline, I'm a social. I'm a social. So I'm, I always tell people was I'm that very a lie? friendly. No, that's a line from a TV show. <laughs> on, right. on, the, on the Hills, there was a spinoff called The City. And on the first episode, the girl said, I'm a social. And she said it like she's a socialite. So for years, as a joke, I would go, I'm a social. Um, I'm actually one of those people who's like an extroverted introvert. I present extrovertedly, but... I, and also I'm very charismatic, enthusiastic, and I'm friendly. I'm not, if you said you want to go to dinner, I'd say, sure. If you said, I'd rather have dinner with you that if you said dinner party with 10 people, I'd be like, no, thank you. Or if you said, do you want to go to a party or do you want to sit home and read a book? I'd always choose reading a book. So that's, I'm way more introverted than I present. (laughs) So I, I think one interesting thing about the social aspect of YouTube is, is you're meeting all these people that eventually become your friends on the platform, but before they are, you only know them through a screen. And I think that's a more common thing now, even with online dating. But at the time, it was very strange. Like, I'm meeting someone online. Am I going to get kidnapped or killed? And I know you guys were not just the first camp of YouTubers, but also the first camp of people that did collaboration videos. Whereas now, it seems a little bit more for marketing. But at the time, I know you you started the, the tops and bottom gaze of YouTube. And that was one of the first collaborations, definitely the first queer collaboration that was on YouTube. How did that come about? Oh, my God. So, again, via AOL Instant Messenger, <laughs> like uh, in the top 10 YouTubers, there was four of us, William Sled, Matthew Lush, Chris Crocker, and Michael Buckley. And I had just been talking to them separately on AOL Instant Messenger. I had met William at a YouTube event. And then I remember us calling Chris Crocker on the phone and Chris saying, like, I'm never included in any of these YouTube events. I'm like, I know. And he did. He always felt a little he wasn't a partner yet. He wasn't invited. He wasn't invited to the things that like mm-hmm. I, William Sled and I were invited to like YouTube brand up and all these other weird YouTube events. So I, and I just remember say, saying to one of them, like, or two of them, on, we should make a video together. So I, I said, the, the outline of the video was, let's all just do an impersonation of each other. And it was funny because I didn't tell them that the joke was going to be that I wasn't going to do an impression of them. I was just going to say nice things about them. So they did, like, what the fuck? And they made fun of me and they made fun of each other. And then, you know, and they didn't even, like, it's like nowadays, they'd probably be like, can you send me the video before you post it? Or, yeah. And it was just like, it was so cute and innocent and he's filmed on terrible videos and just silly gay jokes and yeah it's it seems so cute and charming now and that we were like the top four gay youtubers and i think i loved also on youtube that it was 2006 and seven and we felt included like we were what you know people loved us like i didn't have much gay representation on tv or in the movies but on youtube when i went on that main page i saw four gay guys and i remember thinking this is amazing so again now looking back i'm like i that's me i'm like i was part of that but i just i remember being grateful for the representation and so that yeah like do you you find did you have many fans like coming up to you 
uh, like gay fans coming up to you and like thanking you or, or saying that you were yes. a big fi- figure in their life? Maybe yeah, help them like, come out. Yeah, like that was my my probably the first group of people were like just people who like celebrity gossip and they're like, you're so funny. And then the next wave of people were young gay kids. And then even like when I moved here and I was in 2018, so far removed from YouTube, there was a boy and he said, you know, he saw on my Instagram that I had moved to Denver and he drew me a picture back in 2011 and he, he brought it to me. <laughs> and so wow. again, that, and he even said, you're the first gay person I ever saw growing up. And it just, it was so sweet to be, again, I was 10 years removed from YouTube, but he still remembered me fondly and he knew I lived in Colorado and he just wanted to give me this little piece of art he had made. So I do like, and I'll be on the dance floor at a gay bar and a, a, a man who's like 25 will just look at me and say, I, I know who you are. I'm like, thank you. And we always <laughs> have, a, we have a lovely interaction of, you know, I, you meant something to me. And I just, again, they, and I say, and it, yeah, so I, it's, lo- it's, it's lovely. Yes. And I, I think what you were saying about with representation, I think maybe not many people nowadays want to think about it just due to the fact that we think, you know, we are getting more woke as a society. But even in 2006, 2007, most gay characters on television would have been a big stereotype. Even if you just look at the original Queer Eye for the straight guy and the new Queer Eye, if you go back and watch the differences between them, it's really like Bravo told them to ham it up completely. And... I, I, I know we brought this up on the, the pre-conversation and I'd kick myself I didn't bring it up because I, I do think it's important to talk about, but I think just the response to being a gay YouTuber in the early days of YouTube where almost every comment, whether you were gay or not, was extremely negative and homophobic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I always tell people, like, my first videos, like, would have eight comments on them, and six of them would be die fag, or they would be, like, homophobic slurs and stuff, and so, and I was almost immune to it, because I was a grown-up, I always tell people I'm glad I started YouTube when I was 31 years old, because I did have a fully formed identity, and I wasn't, you know, my mood wasn't dependent upon strangers' comments, but imagine when you're 13, 15, 16, and someone's writing, you're ugly, you're gay, kill yourself fag, it's like, what well i think that's what leads to so much like teen suicide in the early days of the internet yeah but i'm glad we're talking about that i'm glad we don't tolerate that anymore and i love that in the comment section when if people do write things people reply at them oh they get away yeah Yeah. so it's like if you're gonna be a jerk yeah youtube was famous for having like a horrible comment section like one of the worst comment sections on the internet and i actually and i haven't really thought about this but now i think about it i feel like it actually is considerably better like it's oh 100 percent. if if you go look in comp like i think people would be called out for legitimate reasons a lot Uh, some kind of stupid but not about like who someone is as a human being um and i think that's insane growth and i think it's definitely something you did as far as paving the wave for newer creators that don't have to deal with this. And I think it is good that you took it in stride. Um, Would there be any advice that you would have to young queer content creators who might see stuff like this? Yeah. I mean, I always, you know, I always said, and I I had this mindset years ago and it still is the same. You you can't let the hate go to your head. You can't let the praise go to your head and you can't let the hate go to your heart. Cause a Mm -hmm. lot of people are going to write, you're so great looking, you're so funny, you're so this. And if you're going to believe that, then you also have to believe that you're a piece of shit. What are you doing with your life? Die fag. So I can't, again, these are words. Again, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, I'm a grown up, So again, I'm responsible for my emotions. You can hurt me physically 
physically, you can hurt me financially, but quite frankly, you cannot hurt me emotionally. So, you know, this, again, you said words, I made them mean something painful. So if I'm a, if I'm a grown up and someone writes something to me, it's, they're just saying words to you. And it's like, if I'm going to, I don't need to make them mean something painful. Again, if someone, no one in a great emotional state is going on the internet, writing disgusting things to somebody. So my default is always compassion. So when Mm -hmm. I see somebody write something horrible, my brain doesn't go to what the hell is wrong with you. My goal, my brain goes to it must not be going very well for this person. Yeah. If mm-hmm. they need to go on some YouTube's video and write something about their sexuality or their appearance, this is not a confident, well-off person. This is someone who is very insecure and very unhappy, and or they think they're just being obnoxious or trying whatever they're doing. I don't have time to psychoanalyze every comment. All I know is it's just words on the internet, and I don't need to internalize it. Well, <laughs> and I, also, it has nothing yeah. to do with me no yeah. offense it's like it's whatever yeah, it's, you're going through and you're putting on that's me, not on like no nah, i don't know what well, like, it's got a weird text i'm like what this has yeah, nothing to do yeah. with me what something <laughs> interesting i i saw while doing research for this uh episode actually was there was an episode of philip defranco's podcast where he was talking to rhett and link and you actually came up uh to people that didn't see it what it was was rhett and link grew up very very christian and I, I believe it was it was Rhett who said that at a YouTuber meetup, you were the first gay person that he had ever met. And wow. he went to you went to go hug him. And he'd always been told by the church that it was wrong to be gay. And he didn't feel uncomfortable, but he felt uncomfortable that he was feeling uncomfortable about it. And he was saying, looking back at this right now, he would have loved to give you a loving, warm embrace, but he believed this rhetoric so much. And I, th- I think that really shows that though we have come quite far and there is a long way to go, it wasn't too long ago that, that this was such a big thing, especially on the Internet. And just to I, I, it, I think it's weird just for me to see that growing up in Vancouver Whereas we have a very big pride. There's a huge queer community here. The idea that like a grown man would meet the first ever openly gay person he's ever met at like a live event for YouTube and then feel indifferent about it. That boggles my mind. Yeah, I love. I mean, it, it was very vulnerable and lovely of him to share that because I think a lot of people and that's what he grew up with a, a shame based weird religion that taught him something weird about homosexuals and so like when he said that he said he was hugging me and I really couldn't enjoy it and I wish I wish I could let him know I'd like to let you know and right he's evolved and grown into a different I mean religion is I'm a Christian Mm -hmm. I'm very into God but religion is so harmful and it's so it's like even like these people love the sin or hate the sin it's like you're just God like this is not what God had in mind I promised you and so you know and even I got I got yelled at in DC recently somebody yelled faggot and my friend looked upset and I, I always think oh my god he probably grew up in like Arkansas and his family taught him to hate gay people. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know what to tell you other than, and so like Rhett and Link, they grew up and they were brainwashed to think that gay people meant sin and devil and hell and not what God intended. So even in 2008, this guy seems okay to me, but this is what I was taught. And our beliefs are so deeply ingrained in us. And if he was like 28 years old at that time, he had 27 years of just thinking that. And then I was perhaps the interruption of, oh, I don't wish to believe that anymore. So, Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's good. And I think it also goes towards sort of what we're saying is, you know, not just the evolution of us, but the evolution of YouTube and what this collaborative environment has given us is that, he has been able to become an ally through the avenue of kind of expanding his world with YouTube. And I think 
that is something that I, I, I do miss about the early days of YouTube because now it seems like even if anyone is collaborating, it, it's more just for clout and getting more followers. And I hope that we can get to a point where it is more of a community again. And we're we're getting to that that mark in time yeah. where I got to I got to wrap it up. But I do have a serious question for you before we go. Have you ever completed a hands free ejac using no apparatuses whatsoever? A solo hands-free. Like Kegels. A solo hands-free? Like meaning like... Oh, by yourself. Because someone else has asked uh, if with a partner counts. Oh, no. with a partner, yes. By myself? No. Okay. You got some homework. Okay. I get, I, I, it's I, all I, about I, Kegels. <laughs> you got to really squeeze. Thank, I, I guess, I, I again, it's almost like going on YouTube. I have no interest in this. So maybe someday okay. I will I will let you know I have a YouTube channel and a hands-free ejaculation to share. <laughs> I don't, you don't got to like just go into detail if you don't want to. But if you ever do, just say this is directed to Josh. The Kegels I worked. I will tell Josh all about it. This is all. This is a different type of podcast now. I'd like. I'd like this. I'd like. It's I'd the, like some more of this conversation. This is the after hours. Yes. All right. Well, before we get out of here, uh, can we just get you to do your call to action that you're uh, so famous for? Thank you for watching, and please like, comment, and subscribe. Nice. By the way, did you invent that? I, I take credit for it. I was the first person to do it successfully. Like, I don't know if anybody did it before me, but the day I did it and four of my videos were on the top list, the next day, everybody was doing it. So, yeah, I had opening credit. Take that credit, baby. I take full credit. I take Like comments, credit. which is used to this day. And that's why yes. I, one last thing I will say before we have to go here is in the future, I hope in some sense old videos of yours can be seen just for educational archive purposes because it is such a big part of YouTube history. And as uh, terrible YouTube historians that me and Thomas are, I love seeing this stuff. So thank you so much for thank doing you. this. I was such a, I'm such a big fan of you. You're such an inspiration. <laughs> thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate you guys. Bye Thanks bye. for taking the time. Bye. I'm a social. Love you, bitch. <laughs> I whip it out whenever I can. I don't know what that means. What the fuck? Boom.